Good evening and welcome to LLC Fumar Takes. This is our 201st take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, a wonderful time to have our guest of honor on is going to be his third occurrence on the show. I'm so excited. Always a great to have a great conversation with this gentleman here. But before we get to formal introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. Tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Why everyone was so enamored about who was going to win the Bitcoin. And it was not exciting freestyle live. Don't get me wrong. But guess what's back? I'm so excited to see that the barn smokers are back, baby. Florida will be happening on May 13th through the 15th in Pennsylvania from July 15th to the 16th in Connecticut on August 12th and 14th. And don't forget to check out the Kentucky Barn Smoker later this year in the fall, September 30th through October 1st. These are fantastic. Can't miss events. You want to check out, you want to get your tickets now, www.barnsmoker.com and sign up for all four if you can. But uh, I think my guest of honor will be a partial to particularly one of them, although I know he's a fan of all four as well. So let's get to formal introductions. This is our 201st take, and it's my privilege. It's my privilege. It's my pleasure to welcome in Mr. Jeff Borschwitz of Corona Cigar and Florida Sun Grown Farms. Jeff, how are we doing tonight? How you doing, Bear? Thanks for having me on. I always like chit-chatting with you about everything about cigars and all the good stuff in the cigar world. And Congratulations on 201 shows, uh, four Thank years, you. man. That's that's a that's that's a nice little record you got there. So good job and congratulations. Thank you very much. No, it's been a it's been a heck of a it's been a heck of a run, um, and I'm 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 thrilled to keep it going. Um, as as you know, and and uh, from when we were talking in the green room, I'm not 100 percent today, but. Uh, but I am, I'm still rocking and rolling. We're going to have a great conversation tonight. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so I do want to do want to talk about a couple of things right off the bat. Um, kind of just some a couple. Well, I mean, there, there's there's literally I don't even know if we're going to be able to get to everything, Jeff, because there were a lot of things that I wanted to talk with you about. But I'm so excited to have you back. Um, but one of the things that actually caught my I guess my attention um, was from just a few weeks ago. Uh, you were driving back from, you know. Florida Sun Grown Farms and, and uh, there in Claremont, and you stumbled upon a, a, a pretty, apparently a pretty horrific wreck. Um, and you stopped and rendered aid and everything. And I, I just kind of wanted to get your take on that story because I thought it was, first of all, not everybody does that. Um, I think we'd all like to think we do, would do the right thing there or do. Um, but I feel like more often than not, most people are just kind of living their busy lives and they're going on to the next thing. They might call 911, of course, or something like that if they weren't directly involved. But I mean, it was pretty brutal. And and you 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 actually made the decision to stop and, and render whatever aid you could. So I mean, walk, walk us through what like what you actually saw and what happened. And yeah, so um, for those who don't know the story, I was leaving the farm. It was in the afternoon, and uh, there's a there's a state highway that runs uh, not too far from the farm and, and it's heavily traveled by trucks and things like that. And uh, there was a head on collision with the car in front of me uh, hitting another, actually it was a pickup truck in front of me head on collision into a, like a white little minivan and uh, the truck flipped over and the lady was in the other lane, just shot across me and piled up into a fence. So uh, he asked, how do you, how do you react to something like that? 
Um, probably if, when, if, when you're younger, you might think of, uh, just out of fear, Hey, maybe I'll call 911 or just let other people deal with it. But once you become a father, uh, you know, my oldest boy's 16 now. And, uh, you know, going through fatherhood, it teaches you like, you know, somebody like your kid or something falls or whatever, you got to go and, 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 you know, help out. Uh, and also as your, uh, my father passed away a little over a year ago and, uh, you know, it's just the cycle of life, man. You become more mature and realize that, hey, you need to stop and uh, do what you can. And in this case, for me, besides talking to the people on 911, they're trying to coach me on what to do. But anyway, this lady was uh, obviously she was screaming and crying and uh, was terribly upset. And I knew where we were. It's a rural area. So we're probably about 30 minutes before anybody get there. So my job was just to make her feel like she's not alone because she was alone and uh not leave her abandoned on the side of the road so uh you know listen that's that's about you know she's trapped in the car and but she wasn't um you know the, the car car was secure or whatever but it was more of just uh offering comfort because you know lady was hysterical and airbags went off and all that kind of stuff so anyway so i guess the moral of the story is that as you get older you um when you see things like that you need to take part in it because we do live definitely in a society where a lot of people just uh, keep going or sometimes just whip out a damn cell phone just to get a video of carnage. And so, uh, um, you know, we should, we, we definitely don't want to be that way. So anyway, it's not something obviously pre-planned. It's the first time there was something like happened in front of me, but, uh, but yeah, listen, I think anybody, uh, especially if you're the only one, you're going to, you'll probably do the right thing. If, and so, uh, so that's, that's how that goes. And uh, that's, that's kind of what the advice to me is would to anybody just, you know, even if you have no whatever uh, training on that, you, you still know how to comfort people and uh, make sure they don't feel like they're alone. Cause trust me, 30 minutes when you're, you know, trapped in a car and in pain and stuff like that, I'm sure it felt like, well, she probably doesn't even remember it, but anyway, sure. It felt like a much longer. Sure. It felt like eternity. Yeah. 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 So that's what happened. And everybody just take each day. Remember, uh, things can change real quickly. Could have been me uh, instead of that, instead of her. So anyway, that's what happened there. I'm glad so you were there. We enjoy, the, enjoy the moments, smoke great cigars and uh, enjoy life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I know everyone's really excited on the chipper note that I started the show on. I just thought it was, in, I right? mean, I, I just thought it was really important to, to tell that story because like I said, not everyone does that. Not everyone stops, you know, and you did. For- Be the one that stops. For sure. So, Jeff, I, I wanted to, uh, we talked about some, uh, like you said, smoke great cigars. I've got three cigars here um, that I'd like, uh, it would honor me if you actually chose uh, my cigar for tonight. Um, so I think you're going to, I think you're going to like my choices. Um, so I have the. Tampa FSG uh, by Davidoff. Um, and I also have two new, uh, newer cigars. We're going to talk a little bit about both of these tonight a little bit. Um, the uh, 20 Acre Farm Robusto uh, f- from Drew Estate. Um, and the 25th anniversary cigar uh, celebrating uh, Corona Cigar Company. Uh, this, I believe, is the, uh, the shade. 
you had three versions of it. This is, and the, all three of these are uh, obviously have FSG tobacco in them. So, um, so uh, whatever you'd like me to smoke, Jeff, it would honor me if you could pick my cigar for me tonight. So while all three of those cigars are fantastic, I think just because it's, it's the newest one out there, um, I'd like you to smoke that FSG farm, the 20 acre farm Robusto. Okay. And, uh, and get your feedback on that. Cause I'm, I'm smoking a 20, uh, 20 acre farm. This is the belly coast. So this is a, a shape that, that they did for us for a 25th anniversary. Um, but the blends are the same, but of course each shape t- uh, smokes a little different. So I want you to fire that one up. I look forward to your uh, feedback on that too, because that's actually, um, I love that cigar. And I think, uh, I think you'll love it too. So for the folks too, that saw those three selections, the, uh, the Davidoff Tamp FSG is a fuller bodied cigar. So that one's going to be, you know, if you're in the mood for something a little more powerful, the uh, 20 acre farm is a very refined, complex cigar. Um, I'll let Bear light it up before I say anything else on it. And then that the 25th anniversary is a new one that we did with, um, it's a Corona Nicaraguan 25th anniversary. We've been, we have several versions of our Corona Nicaraguan cigars. That we started back in 1999, actually 98. Uh, Oliva makes our original one. Uh, the the 10th anniversary uh, is with Aganorsa. The 20 20th anniversary is with Aganorsa with FSG, and then the 25th anniversary is made in the JC Newman factory in Nicaragua, also with FSG, but blending with their tobaccos because Aganorsa has their uh, uh, huge selections of tobaccos they grow, and then JC Newman has tobaccos that. Uh, primarily mostly from Oliva uh, and others. Um, so it gives a different blend, different flavor profile, even though they're all uh, made in Nicaragua. But, you know, a factory across the street from another factory produces totally different cigars. So give that one it's a shot, pen- fire it up. It's a, it's made at the Pensa, the, the, the 25th anniversary? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Was that by design, Jeff, to, you know, because you have some terrific partnerships, obviously, with the, I mean, in particular, like the, I mean, you have terrific partnerships all around, but I mean, even particular ones, the manufacturers that have, have uh, taken some FSG and made projects with it. Um, it that- it's total, totally by design. Okay. Um, so here's what happens is that every factory has uh, a flavor profile of the cigars they make, and that generally comes from the tobaccos that are in their warehouses. So when you get FSG in the factory with the, with the blender of that factory, it's like a chef that has these ingredients that they've been using to make their existing blends. And then you give them another uh, great ingredient to work with and let them give them the freedom to come up with um, blends that they reflect on their palates. What we try to do is give them some guidance as far as strength. That's about the only guidance I want to give them is if I want it to be a real strong cigar, like uh, Corona Intensa that uh, Aganorsa makes, mm-hmm. obviously that, that needs to be a strong cigar. So um, we'll tell them, you know, blend that one nice full-bodied spicy cigar, just kind of give them those parameters and then they come up with the rest. Um, but on the 25th, we, we did the 25th Nicaraguan from uh, Jason Newman Factory. That's got three different wrappers because they make cigars with Ecuadorian uh, uh, shade. Ecuadorian Sun Grown, and then uh, Brasilia Matafina Maduro. So that um, all of our, our Corona Nicaraguan 10th, 20th, and 25th all come in three different wrappers. So, um, so really, we just want to give them 
some parameters to work with and give that master blender freedom to come up with, with great blends. Cause he knows what tobaccos they have uh, and work, what works well. Um, and sometimes it can be as easy as, Hey, this is our most popular blend that we use on, on, you know, X cigar. Let's blend FSG in that. And, and it's like having a, you know, you might have this wonderful recipe for, for chili or something. You add one other ingredient to it that just really sets it off. So um, we leave that, that freedom up to them. And uh, we, and then we validate, of course, and give feedback. Um, most of the times when these guys come up with this stuff, they're, well, I, they never just give us one blend. They're going to, we, we, they always, you know, for example, if you got three different wrappers, three different cigars, you're, you're going to end up with nine different blends to, to start working with. And then you can give them direction from there. But uh, most of the times when you're starting off with great tobaccos anyway, and you're blending FSG in it, it's really um, not that difficult to come up with another great blend because it's, it's something uh, totally unique. And so that's, uh, that's what I was just about that's to say. Yeah. That's what we tell them to do. And, and, um, you know, Drew Estate, of course, with the 20 year farm, you know, you, you've, you guys, have, a lot of people have been to these, to, to these factories and they, if you haven't been in one of these cigar factories we're talking about, when we say they got a lot of tobacco and inventory, we're talking about warehouses that are like the size of a football field, just full of tobaccos that are aging and they're all from source from all different farms, all different regions. And so, uh, yeah, you, you know, that's like, I like to call that like the pantry of the, of the chef's kitchen. And so these guys have some, you know, we, we make sure we work with really good guys, good factories, good reputations, good quality uh, tobaccos in their inventory. So then it's just, it's a matter of, you know, bringing another like all-star onto a, onto an NBA team or something. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to smoking this and sharing my thoughts here, but you know, you mentioned we, we started talking about the, the, the cigar itself, but um, before we get into tonight's major point, which I had a unique take uh, for this take uh, this time, um, and we'll, we're going to go into that here in a little bit, but I do want to recognize um, the, you know, well, Florida has been open for uh, for quite some time, and I'm sure you had a fantastic year in 2021 celebrating it. You know, for a lot of people, they may not have been aware that you celebrated your 25th anniversary last year, and uh I mean, I mean, was it everything you still wanted it to be or were like, I mean, like I said, I, we know that floor has been open for a while. Did, I mean, were, were there any things that you weren't able to do because of, you know, everything that's been going on with the, the, the last two years in the pandemic or. Well, last year, uh, you know, Florida has been open for, for almost a year, but you know, we were also closed for uh, almost nine months and I don't mean my stores being closed, but we were, under a lot of restrictions, you know, the bars had to be shut down for a while. There was all kinds of rules you know, you could, you could buy a cigar, you could sit outside if it was a to-go cup. There was just, it's just crazy rules. But we, you know, you, you roll with the punches and uh, um, we did well. So it didn't really, uh, I mean, it, it hindered some of the projects we're doing. Obviously when, when the cigar making countries are locked up, you know, that holds back a lot of projects that, we've been working on. So, but that's all right. I, honestly, I don't get upset because it's like, listen, just roll with the punches, man. It is what it is. So if we have a 25th anniversary that comes out, uh, uh, 25th anniversary project that happens to come out when we're 28 years old, it is what it is, you know? So, so <laughs> as long, as long guys as understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this industry is known for, you know, I mean, 
the Fuente family, it's the, that's their tagline, their motto, never rush the, the hands of time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the way it is when you're making great cigars, you can't force it. So, um, yeah, now listen, uh, everything we roll the punches and I'm just glad we're in Florida because we have a great governor that's, that's been real, uh, open-minded on this kind of stuff. And, and we were, um, able to conduct, not only conduct business, but kind of have a, a normal life, um, with, you know, kids going to school and, and, uh, businesses being open. And it's really, you know, we, we take it for granted. I don't want to say we take it for granted, but, um, we forget that there are other parts of the country that, I mean, you know, you see what's going on in Canada and stuff. And it's like, man, these guys are still locked up up there. I forgot. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, makes you, makes you feel bad for, uh, I don't know how business could survive. And life certainly isn't that fun. If you're, if you're restricted on, uh, what you can and can't do so much, but it, roll with it. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. No. And I mean, you certainly, I mean, you certainly did. Uh, I mean, you and there, I mean, some other noted retailers, uh, it seemed like, you know, that what the one, one of the, one of the benefits that I'll say, you know, in, in light of all the restrictions that were placed on you and God forbid, you know, you had four stores, you know, two different cities, three different counties, one state, all telling you different things. Like, I mean, that was, I'm, that was a nightmare, I'm sure. Um, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, restrictions notwithstanding, I feel like most retailers did really well from the very beginning because people started smoking more. At least there was a lot more sales weren't the, weren't the issue. There were a lot of other issues, but sales of, of cigars weren't necessarily the issue, at least in the very, you know, well, for us, if we didn't have coronacigar.com, it'd be an, it would have been much worse mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the, the whole curbside thing, and it's just, it's just not, uh, I mean, you could do it, but most cigar guys don't like that. Um, they want to come in the store, right? They want to pick out their stuff and um, it's kind of cumbersome trying to order over the phone, you know, hey, grab these cigars and meet me at the curb. So anyway, um, I mean, we offered it, but coronacigar.com is what saved our ass during that time because, you know, uh, while the retail stores were way down and there was no bar sales to speak of, um, you know, the online sales picked up uh, to make up for those lost sales. So we were, we were, it was good that we were in uh, that position. And I think a lot of retailers realized they needed to get a retail, uh, uh, an online store too, to, um, to make sure your customers have a way of, of getting those cigars. And so every business I think that could do online business uh definitely learned they, they need to get in it and then a couple other things we did too we were still allowed to sell it's funny during the lockdowns it's like uh selling booze was considered a a uh essential business essential as long as business. They, yeah you just couldn't you couldn't drink it in the store so uh important the, glass give them the bottle yeah so <laughs> what happened is they, they were you know this don't forget our liquor suppliers were, were like weren't getting orders either um so they started we, we came up with some creative uh packages and we sell lots of high-end bourbons and we have you know we have tons of single barrels that we do so um you know a lot of companies were like listen sell these packages to go and yeah everybody wants to cherry pick our blantons and you know uh eagle rare and these these harder to find uh whiskeys so what 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 they would say is listen, package that together, but you're also going to get a Wheatley vodka. You're going to get some of these fireballs and stuff like that, that 
you know, they're kind of hanging on like a Christmas tree, but, but, uh, you know, it allowed uh, people to buy whiskey and they were able to get some good stuff too. But yeah, you, know, you had to you had to take a couple of bottles that were, you know, give them to your, your neighbor or somehow use them for a party or something like that. But, but that's kind of how we got, uh, we're able to keep some of those. You had to get creative. You had to figure out ways to keep the, uh, keep everything going. We kept everybody employed, uh, you know, every single person. So that's how we did it. Just figuring our ways out of it. And, uh, uh, you know, let's hope those days are behind us. Yeah. Here's hoping for that. So, so Jeff, we're going to do, uh, like I said, we're going to jump into a lot of topics tonight. And there's a, there's actually something a little, uh, a little unusual take that I'm going to take on each section that we talk about. So, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into tonight's major point, which is sponsored by all as always by protocol cigars, power of the P tonight's major point is brought to you by the people, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is, but behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back from the original protocol blue to the latest release in the lawman series, Bass Reeves. Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Jeff, um, so wanted to kind of, we talked about your 25th anniversary and everything, but what I wanted to do is with some of these topics that we're talking about, um, I wanted to also ask your advice. I've asked your advice on numerous occasions over the years, and you've always been really great about giving it out. I've gotten that same feedback from a lot of people. You're always always willing to lend a word for someone who wants uh, or near for someone who wants to someone to listen to or wants some advice. Uh, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot and you've had accomplished many, many things. And you've um, I'm, you may not say it, but I will, uh, you're a tremendous success. So um, that being said, we're going to, uh, on each of these topics, we're going to ask, uh, we're going to ask some advice behind it. So, um, so we talked about the 25th anniversary. So, if a retailer came up to you and said, Hey, I'm celebrating 10, 15, 20, 25 years, what advice would you give them about celebrating their milestone? Well, if you can get an anniversary cigar, that's number one for sure. And then also, um, I'm not saying necessarily throw a, a, a huge party where you, you spend tons of money, but I think that there's something you should do for your, your customers and let them know that, uh, you know, how, how much you, the, you appreciated it. It's, it's interesting. I still just this Saturday, uh, yesterday, you know, I had customers that were, I were talking to, Hey man, I used to buy cigars or I used to, when you had the auto shop. Now that's, that's the genesis of the company. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's in 1996. And, and, you know, that's really, uh, something special when, when, when you hear that kind of thing. So, um, try to, I, I you definitely should, get a cigar made for it. It's a celebratory occasion. So I know that the problem is that remember I said, we've got 25th anniversary projects that are kind of probably come out maybe even when we're 30 years old, <laughs> but it's, you can't ask a manufacturer to, well, you can, but you can't get upset when they don't deliver uh, when they can't keep their, their own cigars uh, on your shelf, which is what we're seeing, right? We've been seeing for the last year. There's been, um, our, our stores have had always had cigars, but you're probably hitting about 90% success ratio, meaning that on, on, on an item that you would either order or look for in a store. So if you look at like a, an entire 
shelf or aisle. We have an entire aisle of Padron. We have an entire aisle of Davidoff and all these other cigars. And so, yeah, you're going to find out there's a lot of empty uh, slots there. But so while these guys can't keep their own um, their own supply chain uh, full because they had tons of challenges in Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic as well. So um, you don't get upset when the manufacturer says, hey, I just can't do it right now. So, all right, wait. So if you got to do your, your, you know, your 10th anniversary cigar and when you're actually 12th anniversary, that's, that's fine. Roll with it. I just, you know, be glad you, you, you got it and then sell the heck out of it. I, I think it is, I think it's so cool that you've, like we were just talking about, it was by design, you know, you, you, you've, you've selected these anniversary cigars and you've done them with, with companies that you've had great relationships and you have other exclusives. Other companies have made cigars for you um, over the years, different companies and stuff. So, I mean, I mean, again, your humidor is froth with, um, fraught with, um, you know, examples of that. So um, I think that um, the, uh, you know, that if, if, if someone could have the ability to, to build that relationship with someone, if you're going to last 10 years in this business, 15, 20 years, there's, there's going to be a company that'll make a cigar for you and be happy to do it. And, and so I think, I think that's great advice. Uh, I wish more companies did it um, because I think that would be, I think that would be really something to celebrate. And I think that would be something that, you know, customers, like you were talking about, you said you talked to people that have been around since 96. I mean, there's companies, there's customers that have been around these stores at the same time, you know, like that would be, I remember when I came into the store when it was X, you know, and I'm feeling yeah. kind of nostalgic now, Jeff, because actually yesterday you you were mentioning last night. Yesterday, um, the sun was set on the very first cigar shop that I ever walked into and later worked at, which was Pop Safari uh, Cigars, Fine Wines in Fort Worth, Texas. So um, sad day. Um, the proprietor actually uh, passed away last year and uh, they kept it going for a while. And, and uh, it was uh really sad to see it go because that was a that was a piece of my personal history as as well as a history of fort worth too so it's uh sorry to hear that yeah well i mean i was i was i was surprised at uh, how well they did through through everything too through the pandemic and stuff and when you know when perry passed away it was it was pretty pretty sweet um um you know because i know that he was suffering for quite a long time and but you know you know you and he was, he was in a lot of ways, he was, you know, I wouldn't say like a father to me, but definitely a father figure. And he did a lot for me and I'll never forget it and never forget him because he was an incredible man. So um, I'm really bringing all the good stuff tonight. The feel good moments. I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> so, but we were talking about these relationships that you've built. Okay. So like specifically, let's talk about FSG tobacco, you know, um, Drew Estate, Davidoff, JC Newman, Aganorsa. I mean, these are some, some major major power players in this industry. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a credit to you, Jeff, but, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this considering he said it pretty much in his own words in a post earlier, uh, this week, I believe, but now there's another project in the works with FSG tobacco. And that's with Steve Saka and Dunbarton tobacco and trust. Um, who's I considerably smaller in terms of production, um, you know, uh, get with, uh, up against those other folks that I had mentioned, uh, what I know you have a great relationship with Steve. Is that, is that, was that it, that it was just that great relationship or was there something else that we were like, Hey, we need to get together on a partnership. We need to, we need to do something with FSG tobacco. Well, you know, I've known Steve for a long time. Uh, 
And so whenever he goes to uh, Nicaragua, if he decides to drive from New Hampshire to Miami, um, he's always going to stop by and we're going to spend some time together. So he had, you know, he's been out to the farm several times. And uh, the last time he was there, he's, you know, we had tobacco that was uh, in cartons. And uh, that means it's already pulled from the barn, packed, ready to export to Nicaragua. And he's like, man, can I get just like 100 pounds of this? And I said, yeah, we can, we can do that. And so uh, he, he picked the uh, primings that he liked. And, uh, and so we, we packed a special carton of that for him. And uh, these go to work on it. Now, it really goes back to the – Steve is uh, – he's the captain of his ship. And he works with really quality people. And Steve's a real stickler for, for everything, every detail. Um, <laughs> so let him – it's another thing. We don't give him any guidance. Hey, he wants a mild, medium, strong. No, 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 none of that. <clears throat> it's like Steve is a reflection of – of his his name and his company and his brand and his flavor profile so uh so we we you know once he gets the tobacco it's in his hands and let's see what the it's almost like you know they do these celebrity chef cook-offs or whatever they say here's the ingredients let's see what each of you come up with on your dish so let's see what steve comes up with on his dish and we're you know everybody i think everybody that smokes any cigars knows this guy knows what he's doing so uh we're totally confident in the, and it's one of those things too. There's no timetable on it. There's not none at all. It takes a year, it takes two years, three years, whatever it is. Um, you know, the, 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 the only criteria is, is that product comes out. It's gotta be fantastic. So if it's, it's nothing about time or anything like that. So we'll see, um, what he comes up with. I'm sure it'll come up with something great. We did, uh, personally, like it's seen compromiso cigars. Phenomenal. Right. There's an exclusive Elefante that he does for Corona Cigar. It's a very large cigar. And, uh, um, you know, it's just uh, one of those things I do. You know, you mentioned the other folks we, that we work with, too. It's so much easier. You know, you don't have to micromanage anything when you're working with with great companies like you mentioned. You know, they know what these guys are freaking professional. They know what they're doing, right? They're not only are they uh, well-established and, and, and big and produce great cigars. So with that, in it's in in place it's just really uh it's it's very easy to work with that kind of talent um and also you know it's a it's a two-way street they know that we're we're easy to work with uh and and you know it's, they don't have to worry about if they start a project that a year later corona cigar is not going to be there to, to accept the cigars <laughs> or whatever you know right it's not one of those things so so uh because that believe it or not that's a that's an issue sometimes um people oh, I'm sure will we'll do a special limited edition cigar for a certain city or something like this. And then, then the retailer can't sell them or can't afford them or whatever. So, you know, those are, those are some of the things that happen, but um, you know, we've, uh, I enjoy these projects as well. Uh, we spend a lot of time growing a tobacco and a lot of work that goes into it. So the, you know, the, the, it's like having that candy that comes out of that factory, man, you want to, you want to eat it. And so uh, for us, that's it. We love tasting those cigars that come out, and and uh, it's really cool when you smoke them on the farm because that's the genesis of the product, and uh, it's you come you know full circle on. So it's real cool. You you mentioned that how like the reason you work with these different factories is they all have this the signature profile, right? And mm-hmm. um, so to that point, and I mean, 
are they all uniquely special because of that or is it is it is it the collective the collective collaboration of it all just being able to like do you ever sit back and just say like wow like i all these fantastic factories have made cigars for for my company and it's just this collective collaboration of of you know collaborative joy if you will or is it is it, are, are they each individually just very special in their own way each one's individually special because each factory is like um you know it's like a different family member they're they're uh they're all unique so each one is is kind of like a um yeah you, you, it's really none of them kind of mixed together in my head when we're dealing with it um so and 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 all the products are none of them are similar you know what i'm saying there's actually the similarity is in the uh let's take for example agonors so agonors makes their corona 20th anniversary but they also make army of angels and they make intensa now if you take our 20th anniversaries that uh from agonors if you want to go one step fuller bodied you go to the army of angels if you want to go two steps fuller body you go to the intensa and so that's why uh but they're still going to have a they're still going to have a flavor profile to me that's distinctly agonorsa because mm-hmm. they you know they grow all their own tobaccos um their seed variety is the brothers and sisters of our seed variety so there's a there is a signature flavor of agonorsa tobacco um just like uh, i think davidoff has a signature flavor of the tobaccos that they use um and then um you know the pensa factory of J.C. Newman has a very um, a, a unique flavor too. Theirs doesn't taste anything like Drew State. I mean, let's face it, their biggest selling cigar, box cigar is going to be your Brickhouse. I don't mm-hmm. think a Brickhouse tastes like anything that Drew State makes. No, and I don't think, accurate. you know, you know what I'm saying? I don't think there's stuff that comes from Aganorsa that tastes like Drew State. So, um, you know, so that's kind of, that's, that's the way it is with our with our cigars that use FSG as well. Even though it's it's a it's a component within the cigar, they they totally taste different. Especially like FSG, the original from Drew Estate with the Brazilian Aripuraca wrapper, and then the box press limited edition with the Connecticut Broadleaf. I mean, the, just those two cigars both out of Drew Estate. Those two cigars are totally different. You know, right. even though they're both FSGs, you smoke the box press with the with the, with the Broadleaf. It's a much stronger cigar. Than the FSG with the with the Brazilian uh, Maduro wrapper. I so, love that expression. The box press, the yeah. chunk. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Yep. So good. so so it depends on what I'm in the mood for. If I want one stronger, I'll smoke the, the box press Toro. If I want something a little milder, I go with the the traditional round. So you were just mentioning about the the FSG, the original FSG release, the Drew Estate Dead. So mm-hmm. recent announcement from the company is that they are. They they did they did away with a couple of SKUs uh, and then they took the FSG tobacco away from national release and brought it back to just Corona as the exclusive for you. Um, well, this I mean, while this was certainly a, a positive for you to have exclusive exclusivity to it, I mean, what were your feelings? I mean, was it a mixed feeling? Like, did you know? Yeah, there's the the thing is they didn't do away with any sizes, so all the sizes are still there. We sell them all. Um, I do believe that the, the limited edition uh, box press will continue to go to when it's released. I think the, uh, the DDRP retailers will be able to uh, get that when it comes out. Um, but they really wanted to 
uh, have a cigar in their portfolio on the national side with like 20 acre farm is totally different than the FSG. It's a totally different flavor profile. Doesn't taste like anything in the Drew Estate, uh, uh, you know, categories or cigars that they make. So it fills a, uh, it allows them to go after a, a, a type of a cigar smoker that likes that flavor profile that they weren't necessarily hitting before. So that was the idea of that. Um, and, and, and they wanted also to make sure it looked distinctively different so that it's easily recognizable. This is a totally different cigar um, with a totally different flavor profile. So uh, we're, we're really excited. They, they really, uh, we're classied up the brand as well. The packaging on it is incredible. The, the swag that matches it. I mean, these, when you put the ashtray next to the box and the cutter and the lighter, this is really high-end stuff. It, it, they did a tremendous job of linking all of that together. So um, we're really excited about it. And Jura uh, State's always been a great company to work with. We've, we, I mean, we've been with them since day one. Actually, it was two years after we opened. But I mean, um, to me, it feels like from day one. But, uh, you know, they've, they've always been kind of been stayed true to uh, who they are. And, and I like that. I like dealing with uh, what's interesting when it, when they got bought by Swisher, I think what really made a big difference too, is that Swisher is still a family owned company. It's not publicly traded and it's U S based. And um, I think that makes a lot, a big difference. And, and they understand that uh, Drew Estate still needs to function like Drew Estate did. And, and they've, they've, they've done a really good job and not only being able to keep the, let's say the personality of the company, um, mm-hmm. but improve on it as well. And so, uh, so I really like that because a lot of times once companies get sold, man, they change where you don't even recognize them anymore. They just, they, they lose sometimes, you know, 50 years where the legacy gets bought and then it's like, you know, nobody's there anymore that was part of the original company and things just become, you know, columns on a spreadsheet and all that other kind of stuff. And, and, um, long-term it always, uh, well, long-term generally it, uh, erodes away. No, I think that's, I think that's a very important point. I think Drew Estate has really done a really good job of keeping their identity. Um, it's not really lost. Um, have there been some changes? Sure. Um, I would say more overwhelmingly positive than, you know, towards the negative side. Um, I think they've done a fantastic job of, of keeping that. There's always the, there was always the, I, I, I still, I still recant the story. I love it. Um, you know, the, I mean, literally the day it got sold, um, you know, people would come into our humidor at Michael's in Euless and pick up a Liga and like, Oh, it tastes different. It's like, come on, man. Like just yeah, right. <laughs> come on. Um, yeah. But uh, to that point, I think, like you said, it's it, it's they've they've put some really good people in in those roles to make a difference. Because if you look at you look at Glenn Wolfson and you look at Jonathan Drew, um, those two men probably couldn't be more different. Right. Um, but Glenn allows allows the company to kind of follow that that Jonathan Drew Marvin Samel kind of uh, origin story, and and he and like I said, it's still been able to keep it its identity and he recognized that. And under his leadership, I think it's been, it's been really great of what they've been able to do. 
So let me give you a good example of that. What, what happens there, that's why I said like when, when Swisher bought it, there's some actually good things because um, when you have, uh, Glenn's a very structured CEO and that's kind of sometimes what, um, when you have a lot of creative uh, juices flowing in the company, sometimes it's hard to manage and sometimes you got to kind of bring focus back. Um, and Glenn's been really good at, at, at Drusty being a great operator. Um, so that was a, that was a big plus. Um, and you know what, you know, Drew State did a great job during the pandemic with all the stuff they did, you know, oh, the, absolutely. all these, all, yeah, they really, they really, uh, out of everybody, they did the best and, and, you know, other companies could have done it big, there's, there's big companies out there like this. Right. And they, they, they kind of missed that boat or maybe they just, I don't know, mm -hmm. but anyway, um, you know, it's a good example of how. Uh, when you know they got a good team, and these you know this Bitcoin they just gave away, and then all the stuff leading up to it, um, you know, this, in the production of their of their their shows and the videos, you know, there's a lot of effort that went into it. So uh, and and they were able to to zig, especially for the size of the company, they were able to zig uh, when this uh, the landscape changed. You know, so good job. No, absolutely. So we got to focus here a little bit more on the 20 acre farm as I'm smoking it down and um, really, really enjoying uh, the cigar, Jeff. I, um, I know, you, I hope you're as pleased with it as, um, as a lot of people tend to be with it. Um, I could taste the FSG. I love FSG tobacco. You know, this um, there, there really isn't a cigar. I, and I think I've had, I think I've had everything you've made or, or that has been made with FSG. I'm, I'm trying to think if I haven't, and I've liked I've liked all of them, and because I love the tobacco. You, you've had our farm rolls, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the that's the best way to, to to taste FSG at its core, mm -hmm. because that's that's a, a rolled with tobacco that's cured on the farm, but has not gone through any sorting or fermentation or anything like that. So once you smoke a farm roll and you smell it too, especially the aroma, that's like the the DNA of the of, of that that cigar, when you, when you smoke that, it's like, man, you can pick it up in all these other cigars. And that's, that's what's uh, really, that's why we did that, that farm bowl so that, because that's how we smoke tobacco on the farm uh, after it goes through its uh, uh, curing process. You know, we will roll up some farm rolls, light it up, um, check the burn quality, the ash quality. Uh, in the farm rolls, we actually age in a the tobacco in a, in a bourbon barrel there's uh, actually bourbon barrels, quite a few of them. And we do that for uh, eh, two to three years just to put age on it, but it never goes through a bulking or fermentation of, you know, the, the, what we call the sweating of the tobacco. It doesn't do any of that. Um, so it's, so it gives it some of that like straight off the farm type of flavor. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good way to, once you smoke that, then you can pick up, Oh yeah, man, I can taste the FSG in a 20 acre farm. I can taste it in the, in the FSG bedroom estate. I can taste it in the, the uh, Aganorsa products and, you know, you just, um, so that's why I really think that's pretty cool. That cigar, um, you know, takes it right back to the core ingredient. So, so the question, the question remains. So in a, this industry is really bad at keeping secrets. <laughs> um, well, not always, but not, not with what we did. 
Well, exactly. That's my point. Like this wasn't on the radar. Like I, I mean, this was this really caught me off guard. You know, they did the freestyle lives and they give us the sneak peek of it. And they're like, "Hey, smoke in, tell us what you think." Blah blah. Which it was again, like you said, was a great way to get community involvement. Um, and uh, but with the with with the underground ten, like I knew, and a lot of us knew, we're guessing that it was part of the underground the underground project, right? The underground, uh, yeah, world or family or whatever you want to call it. This I I be totally threw me for a loop. I I I thought, like I said, because I can taste it pretty good. I thought I tasted FSG. I was like, I wonder if it's something else with Jeff. Um, I said that'd be really cool. But I mean, I, but I mean, it was more fleeting than anything. I'm not gonna say I called it because I didn't. Uh, but it caught I, I caught us all, it caught a lot of us off guard. I mean that I mean, I, I mean, how'd y'all keep this a secret? Like seriously, this is in this industry. Listen. I can keep a secret. That's the difference. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it goes back to like Glenn Wilson and the structure in Drew Estate. Now they're they're disciplined and they they know when they're working on this project because there's some. You know, listen, when you start doing major marketing campaigns, um, you know that, that freestyle live kit. There was a lot that went into that. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the you got the, the the leather case. You had the packaging. You had the cigars. So you can't have guys in the company are going to blow it. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. then it blows the whole, the whole thing. You know. So I think that that's 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 a, a hat tip to Drew Estate and the guys that have, were, were involved in it, making sure. Listen, you know, don't talk about this because there's a plan. And so, uh, so that's you know, it's it's actually harder to keep the secret of Drew Estate than is a Corona cigar because I can keep keep it real under the you know um, not even tell anybody within the company what's going on so so uh, that's how we were able to to uh, pull that off and, and i'm glad that glad that it did it was pretty cool there were a couple of people that called it and uh and it was it, that was pretty cool too so um <laughs> and the cigars the ones that are in the boxes that they've got the cedar on it which i really love because uh, i was gonna ask you I, I yeah i was able to get you know we were got the packaging where it was already done and everything else and the cedar just adds a whole nother layer of complexity to the flavor, um, which which. Okay, so you and I agree on this. To, a lot of people think it's aesthetic, and I'm like, it's not. No, no, it adds a lot of flavor to the cigar. It goes back to you know the the, the days of you know the Cuban cigars wrapped in the cedar wrap too, and and you know they were always done in cedar cabinets, and a lot of cigars were aged in those cedar. When I say cabinet, that's a slide top box made of Spanish cedar. Um, you know nowadays you have because there was a shortage of cedar, you know, you, your boxes are made of uh, MDF material or uh, other woods that aren't aromatic. So when you put that cedar sleeve on it, for sure, especially Spanish cedar sleeve, it definitely adds, uh, it's like a seasoning. I mean, it really is. It's like, uh, it's like having, you know, barbecue ribs and putting a rub on it too. So, so it totally makes a difference, especially when you first light the cigar too. Because it's kind of like one of the first things that hits your hits your nose, and that's kind of you know jump starts your your palate of what's coming. So um, yeah, it makes a difference, and, and I I think it's a great touch. And here's the other thing too. Some there were some companies that would use cedar to hide blemishes in the wrappers, um, and or or off colors. Now that's not the case at all. If you look at any of these these cigars, you pull the sleeve off, and it's the wrappers like top quality. So that's another important thing too, because some people have used uh, 
you know, wrapped cigars in cedar because uh, the aesthetics weren't there. That's not the case of this. This is a top shelf, top notch cigar, and the cedar's added for that 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 flavor and aroma. Now, so here's where the advice comes in. So you've you've kind of danced around it a little bit tonight when we we're talking about letting letting these people do it. And I, I heard you in another interview talking about Twenty Acre Farm specifically, and really just kind of letting go and letting Willie Willie Herrera do his thing. Yeah. So the advice is like, I mean, how hands-on should a brand owner be with their, with their cigars? Because I mean, the, well, it depends right. in this case here, the, this was a specifically, uh, uh, everything from the concept to the, to the blending and everything else was specifically created for a certain category that the Drew estate family of cigars wasn't touching on. Remember they got tons of Maduro cigars. You know, look at all the Liga Pravadas and the Undercrowns and things like that. Really, other Northern Crown Shade, there's nothing else in that line. So mm -hmm. this was designed to give them a pillar of that premium luxury uh, complex uh, uh, shade cigar that's got flavor, but also not overpowering. So that was the idea behind it. So uh, that's Willie's wheelhouse. He knows what to do. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so yeah. The, the, and again, it goes back to the same thing. If you're working with professionals, you don't have to get involved. I mean, you know, if you got an all-star team of guys out there, you don't get in their way. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, absolutely. No, I, I if I'm not sure what I would do if I ever had the opportunity to actually work and and uh, worth uh, some of these people and actually build my own cigar. I don't know. I don't know if I could contain my excitement. <laughs> well, excitement is one thing, and, and honest feedback is is also very important. But but remember, these companies are are they're professionals, so blends don't usually even get to my thing, my my to me until they've already gone through, you know, people at the factory level, people at the company level. By the time they get to me, they've already gone through a lot of scrutiny. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing it back to, to, to Florida Sun Grown Farm, um, where you spend a lot of your time, there have been a lot of, I would say that since the last time we had you on, Jeff, there's been a lot of developments there. Um, so starting with some of the way that you're diversifying the land. So, I mean, you've got cattle now and you also, you also produce honey as well, yes. correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what went, what went into those decisions, um, you know, because we all know that Florida Sun Grown Farm is a passion project for you. And you've said that a number of times. So what went into those decisions as far as diversifying the, uh, the land a little bit for other than tobacco? So I'll start with the, the honey. That was totally accidental. Um, and when you have a farm, you got to be a good neighbor and you're part of a community. And especially when you hold these giant barn smokers, you got to make sure your neighbors like you because you don't want to call the cops on you and all this other stuff. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, uh, a, a neighbor next to us uh, he has bees and, and makes honey and all that stuff. In one year, uh, the, the tobacco, we let flower. And he says, Jeff, my honey is unbelievable. They love that tobacco. You know, they, pr they like produce double the amount of honey, super flavorful, super sweet. And it's got a, a, a different taste to it. And, uh, and he was selling it, you know, uh, sort of like a local, local, local type of thing. Right. Uh, and I said, listen, 
whatever you, I'll just buy it all, whatever you normally sell it for, I'll just buy it all. And then we'll sell it in our stores. And so we've had that relationship for a couple of years now. So that wasn't something that was planned. It's just something that, that happened. And you'll find this a lot of times in business or in anything, as you go down that road of life, there's always things that come out. And, uh, and, and when, when you see those, you need to try and take, take, uh, that opportunity and, and roll with it. So, you know, he created the, the labels and the jars and all the other stuff. And it's a, it's a real, uh, you know, it's a legit product coming from that farm. If you want to, you know, when you pass by the farm, you see the guy there, you want to talk to him, there's the hives, just don't go hit him because you get stung, but uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're there. And so uh, now the beef cattle came as, as a, one of the challenges of having any farm is what do you do when you're not growing? In the first couple of years, we were only growing a spring crop because traditionally that's what they always did in Florida. But, you know, I'm like, man, these guys in Cuba start their crops in, in the in the fall. And, and, you know, you always do uh, tobacco based on rain. You want to do it when it's not raining and you want to do it when it's uh, not going to freeze. So in Cuba, obviously, they don't have a problem freeze, but they, they have hurricanes and, and rainy season. So they, they grow it in, uh, in, in our winter, if you will. So they start... Um, their, their tobacco is growing right now, probably finishing up the, some of the harvest. So I'm like, well, let's do a fall crop um, and let's see how it, how it works. And, and it turned out phenomenal. And then one year we had a problem where we lost our spring crop. I'm like, wow, thank goodness we know we can do a fall, a fall crop. So, uh, so after that, it <clears throat> really changed our mentality of stop growing a big spring crop, cut it in half and just grow that second crop. This way, you, you, you can kind of keep your farm working year-round. Because if you grow a spring crop, what do you do with everybody that works for you in the fall? You know what I mean? You can't just have everybody standing around. And then it's like, uh, if, you, if you don't have work for them, it's like having to rebuild a team from scratch. You need guys that have worked there before. So that's why we, we uh, you know, did the spring, fall. And then in between, um, we've got the cattle going on. And that was something else to give just be able to make sure that you can keep people working uh, 12 months out of the year. So <clears throat> that's how the beef cattle came about. And then personally, I really enjoy the beef cattle. Um, it's something that's, uh, you know, some people when they're done with work, go to the gym or do yoga or whatever to help. For me, my, uh, my, my brain cleanse is going out and doing some, you know, fixing fence or mowing pastures, things like that. So I actually can do a lot of thought. I come up with some cool stuff as I'm, as I'm driving a tractor for hours and hours and hours. You can really just uh, focus. So anyway, so that's how that came about. And then uh, during COVID, uh, you know, we were always selling our calves to the local uh, 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 auction. But during COVID, there was, you know, there was meat shortages and stuff like that. I'm like, this is crazy. We got plenty of beef out there. So we, uh, we started um, with a local processor and uh, started, you know, pulling some of our best steers. And, and raising them for the attention of, of uh, us actually having them uh, uh, slaughtered and packaged. And so that's what we started doing about two years ago. And uh, that's worked out really well, too. So uh, that's something that we do to just, uh, you know, I really like these Red Meat Lover Club things. We've done several of those dinners. We've got another one coming up in Tampa. Um, Evan bought a, bought a whole steer, and he's got some awesome chefs. I mean, these guys do all kinds of stuff with, you know, you get the brisket going, you get the ribs going, you get the tomahawks going, you got meatballs going, they do sliders, they do everything. It's really cool. So, uh, 
and he always ties it up to a charity too. So, so it's always a, a great, uh, great event. So that's kind of how the, the farm has evolved. And then also the other thing, once you have a bunch of cows, you got to feed them in the wintertime here. So now we got a hay operation. So we grow our hay and, and, uh, and that's all part of it too. So a lot of this stuff just comes naturally. And, uh, um, you know, you just, that's where we're at today. How many head of cattle have you, have you had at any one time? Uh, about 400. Oh, wow. Yeah. All on, so it's all, a on 20 ac- all on 20 acres. Really? No, no. 20 acres, just the farm, the tobacco farm. Okay. No, that, yeah. The, the ranching operation is about 600 acres. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is it adjacent to FSG or, or, or? Um, the hay fields across the street? Okay. Uh, there's, there's one ranch down the road. So they're all, they're all within 30 minute drive each other. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, oh, man. Foreign cat. Yeah, no, that, that sounded, that sounded really big to me. I was like, there's no way it's a 20 acre. <laughs> oh no, no. man. No. Well, that's cause that's what I was thinking, Jeff. Cause I could say like time, like I saw you diversifying with these different things. I was just like, you know, I've been to that farm and you know, 20 acres is a lot of space. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you also need a lot of space. If you're going to, you're going to have cattle and things like that. I was like, Oh, he probably can't be producing that much cattle. No, you need about two acres per, you know, all our stuff, the, the cows here, they're all grass fed. So in the wintertime, you feed them hay. So but you need about two, two minimum of two acres per, uh, per cow, but then you gotta, you know, you gotta feed them hay, uh, in the wintertime. So you gotta have hay fuel for that too, or you gotta buy it. But anyway, the meat industry is pretty tough. These, uh, cowboys and ranchers are, uh, we're right now, the industry's getting screwed by the big packers and they're trying to fix that. But anyway, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> No, I, I, I know you've been a huge advocate for that and you've, you've done some, I mean, you've done some really great work with the farming community in Florida in general, and, uh, and we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. So, um, but you know, so before I did do that there, you, we talked about the farm rules earlier mm-hmm. and how, you know, how those, the, the, that's how you really get the, the taste and the aroma and the real feel of that. Well, you guys are starting to, you, you, you started with the 99 Corojo and now you're starting to introduce the 2012 Corojo. So from Correct. your perspective, like, how is that, how is that? I mean, they're different, right? I mean, it's a similar, it's the sa- same seed, different, but different strain. What is like, what have, have you, are, are, is it similar enough to be similar or is it, are, do they have differences that are really notable? So here's what we found. Um, the 2012, um, that was, de- that was developed in Cuba. They were, you know, the, light, the strain that they were always using there was a Crojo 99, but they kept running into a problem with black shank there. So, like, they need to come up with more of a disease-resistant variety because um, Cuba grows a lot of tobacco kind of natural. Um, so they don't have access to, you know, fungicides and things like that to combat the, the, uh, the black shank problem. So they, Cuba is the epicenter for, um, for hybrid in tobacco seed research. So I was over there during a festival of Habanos, I don't know, probably three, four years ago. And um, the, you know, that's what the guys were, were growing. It was like their first year with it. And uh, I held back from planting any of it because I wanted to see how, the, how, how it, they were doing and how the taste was. And then um, Eduardo Fernandez planted a big crop of it as well. So once I saw that the, uh, the Cubans were using it and uh, now they're actually in cigars that probably from a year, two years ago, uh, Crow 2012 has been in their cigars. 
and the market really didn't didn't notice. Um, and, and that was, I went to this this the seminar where the uh, the guy that develops all the seed research. He says the, the big thing they wanted was uh, yield and disease resistance, but the chase, the taste had to be the same. So, and they, they felt they got it, but um, the, the market is the, really the true test. So no one really even noticed in the, in the Cuban cigars that they were switching to 2012. So after I, you know, saw other guys using it for a couple of years, I'm like, all right, let's go ahead and change it. So we planted it and it kind of performed the same way as our existing seed did uh, the first year I grew it, but that's because we had um, we had a we had a funny year with in the winter there, where it was uh, um, kind of like uh, the the cold was making the plants kind of stop growing and then they get, they grow again and you get into the cold front and stuff. <clears throat> but this season when we planted it, I noticed the difference between a 2012 and a 99. The leaves are bigger. Um, the, the leaves okay. are, are at least in in, in inch uh to inch and a half on average uh bigger which is good because corojo is traditionally that's the smallest leaf uh there is when you go to tobacco if it's sumatra or you know broadleaf and all this other stuff they're huge corojo is a small leaf um Mm -hmm. criollo is wider so so it's the worst yielding seed variety out there so the fact that Corojo 2012 yields a little more uh, pounds per acre is a plus. And, and I'm not even worried about pounds per acre. I like longer leaves because if you don't have some long leaves in there, you can't make churchills. That's the issue. When it comes to wrapper on a cigar, you need at least a uh, you know, seven, 10 inch leaf to be able to get uh, in sometimes even longer to get some churchills out of them. So, uh, so that was good to see that we're getting longer leaves. So the Newmans will, because <laughs> they use it on the Americans, they're like, man, we need some longer leaves to make these Churchills. So anyway, so uh, they definitely will get it this year. Nice. So, you know, some of these changes at in your operation have been organic. Some of them have been by accident. Some of them have been by design. So the advice we want to ask you, Jeff, as a farmer and a rancher, why and how should a farmer or rancher go about diversification? Should it be the mixed mixed approach that you've taken, or should it be a little bit more, um, a little bit more precise and, and planned out? I think you got to be diversified because no matter what, things can change. And again, diversification off the first thing came, you know, going from two crops a year instead of one was because of one year we lost an entire crop. So you know we don't have crop insurance. There's no way to get it because. Uh, that's done through the Department of Agriculture in our state. And we're the only farm in Florida that grows cigar tobacco. So we're self-insured, if you will. Or anything happens, it's we feast or famine, it's us. So, um, you know, I, I think necessity is anything else. But also, one thing about the farming community, it's always about what's grown in your area. You know, if you, it, it, there's a reason. Because if we didn't have a cattle market up the road, I wouldn't be growing cows. I mean, how do, how do, you, sell your, how do you sell your calves if you don't have a, have a local stockyard where they're doing a cattle auction every week? So that's part of what co-ops are for, what community farm communities are for. So, um, you know, you got to grow what what's done in the area. Now, I've heard you mention this a number of times that the state of Florida has been really instrumental um, in helping you with just mm-hmm. the whole farming operation. Like they're, you know, you've been able to lean on them when certain, you know, certain issues arise and stuff like that. And they're, they're more than willing to let, lend a helping hand. 
do you think that's indicative of most state agencies from what you've heard? I know, cause I know you're really connected in this industry too, or is, is it, is that pretty unique to Florida? No, that's all over the country because the crop science is where you get to lean on the, on the uh, state uh, agriculture guys. It's usually through a university. Like in, yeah, I don't know if that's green Bay or is that Georgia hat you got on? It's green Bay. Okay. So Georgia, <laughs> the university of Georgia is the basically the agriculture uh, school in Georgia, Florida's university of Florida. And what that does, you know, the farmers in the state get to lean on their their PhDs and their scientists and everything else. So anything from plant disease to and, and now remember, things can happen that don't have an answer, um, which is what's happened in Florida with the there's something called citrus greening. We've lost a tremendous amount of citrus in, in the state of Florida because there's a there's a virus that's killing trees and they don't have an answer for it. But the state's working on it. Trust me. Um but but for us, you know, anything from soil sampling to tissue sampling to to pathogen identification to, you know, uh, weed control, you name it, whatever. These guys, those, the resources are there and uh, they're they're free of charge, too. Or I should say they're taxpayer funded. Um, so what happens is, is because in a state like Florida, agriculture, um, the most profitable crop to plant in the state of Florida is houses. So you're constantly losing uh, farms and, and farmers. So the state uh, department ags, they, they, you're like a new customer when, when they're losing customers. So that's why the resources are generally there and they're happy to, to help you because they need to keep their funding going. And if they don't have, have, you know, like quote customers, it's hard to justify your funding when the state goes through its budget. So that's why they've been real helpful. It's unlike most agencies, in, in the state. Most agencies, when a guy from the government comes, you know, as a business owner, you're like, oh man, nah, I can, you know, this is going to be a pain in the ass. This guy's going to, you know, this, that, and the other. They're never there. You know, that, that's saying, hey, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. It's like a joke, right? So, uh, but the Department of Agriculture has been really good. Yeah. Help who? <laughs> right. Uh, well, also, well, Jeff, I'm really excited about all the development, as, as are you and uh, all your fans, real big excited about all the developments going on at FSG and uh, everything. I, I'm just really, I'm really excited. I, I haven't, uh, I've had some of the honey uh, absolutely outstanding. I love honey. Uh, I have not had any of the beef that will be, that will be fixed at some point. I'm really excited about that too. Um, how can, how can one get FSG uh, beef? Right now we just sell it locally because um, the area where we finish the steers is, is part near the near where the tobacco is. So in any one time we'll have eight, 10 animals there. And, uh, we, we go through one, probably one a month about, um, but you got to buy a whole, the way it works, you got to buy half the cow. So it's, it's generally sold, um, you know, just, we just sell that locally, but, um, the best way to enjoy is actually coming to one of our burgers and, and bourbon events or, or a red meat lover club event, because that's when we're cooking it up. So we we do uh, we do those throughout the year. Uh, you know, I'll cook a ton of FSG burgers, and and uh, you know we'll either have Woodford Reserve or Old Forester out there, and and pairing it with different bourbons, and it's uh, and pairing it with FSG cigars. So that's always fun. And like I said, Red Meat Lovers Club is where, that's the gourmet one. That's where it's the that's where it's like the uh, high end steakhouse meets uh, uh, you know 
don't know if you have Texas to Brazil there, but like a churrascaria yeah. where they got all these different cuts, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of like what what they do. It's pretty cool, and 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 like Texas brisket mixed into it. So it's really cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Definitely mark your calendars for some of those events uh, and uh, get down and try some uh, FSG beef. That's fantastic. So, um, Jeff, it's been a while since you've been on, and we've got two new segments, uh, one that you're aware of. Um, we talked about a charity, and we'll be introducing that here in just a second. But this is a new one that you uh, – it's been around for a while, but uh, it's your first participation in it. And so this one's a little bit different um, Take uh, with a little different uh, take on it. Now, this is our One Must Go segment, and as always, uh, it's brought to you by United Cigars, as is our guest tonight, Jeff Borswitz, is also sponsored by United Cigars, um, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe and Byron line. So smoke one today and start living united, including we're talking about shop exclusives. There is an Atabe uh, that is sold exclusively at Corona Cigars, so check that out. I've had it. Again, fantastic. Uh, fantastic cigar. So um, really excited here. So, so Jeff, this is how the one must go works. I give you three options and you've got to get rid of one. Now, if I just gave you the choices here, this could be kind of offensive. Um, not that you're one to take offense typically, but this could be kind of offensive because I'd be, it'd be like almost asking you to pick one of your kids and that's not what I'm doing here. So we're going to take a little bit of a different angle here. We're taking the, da- the, uh, the Tampa store out of it. Cause that's a, that's a, Different city, different animal and everything. But you started in Orlando, right? You started there and then um, you open. So there's the the downtown Orlando store, Sand Lake, which I've been to, and Lake Mary. Um, all your all your stores there in the, or, the greater Orlando area. And so if I had to say that, so the question is, if one of these does not truly represent what you originally thought when you were starting like you said when you were starting out of your garage with corona cigar and you were doing mail order and everything if you thought one day there's no way i would do x which one of those stores would have to go in terms of being part of that that grand plan i don't know i just renewed the lease on the downtown store i just you know (laughs) so we're 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 in these things so uh no we do a lot of due diligence before we open a store um so none of them, I honestly, I mean, if that was the case, uh, you know, I, we, we have closed the store before I closed the Okoe store. That was like the stepping stone getting out of my, out of my house and, and actually uh, having it in a, you know, in a, in a, in a building. So, uh, no, but, uh, Sand Lake is the original big one too. Actually the other the downtown store is bigger than Sand Lake store, but I like, uh, Sand Lake store is the one that I'm, that's, it's like my home base and, uh, you know, it's where, you know, more of the customers cause that's, um, that's been open since 2002. So, uh, but all of them, including Tampa, will be renewing at least over there as well. So, um, no, um, I can't get rid of any of them. That'd be like chopping <laughs> off an arm. Right, right. That? No, that's exactly what I say. Like, it's be asking you to pick one of your kids. No, so here, here's where I was kind of going with this. Like, you know, do they all have their, they, I mean, with any store, Corona or, or, or not, like, it, it seems like most stores always have, you can always go in, they all, they have their identity. You know, yeah. these are all Corona stores. Like, do they all have their own different identity or do they, are they really cohesive? Um, because no, of- they have their, they have their own identity, especially I would say <clears throat> the downtown Orlando store, that's in an urban environment. I mean, that is on main street. So if there's a parade going down through Orlando, it's right from the store. Uh, Halloween when there's like 30,000 people in costume in downtown Orlando, it's right in front of the store. City halls, right. You know, you can throw a rock and hit it. So, uh, 
So that's a real, that's an urban, urban setting. Um, nightclubs around and everything else. A lot of good people watching there. Um, the other two stores, Heathrow and Sand Lake, are, are quite similar. This is more of neighborhood ones. Actually, what makes Sand Lake unique, it's a neighborhood type of store, but with mm-hmm. lots of uh, travelers as well, whether they're tourists or business travelers and all that. Um, the, the Heathrow store is, would be more of a true neighborhood type of store, but they're all in, in, in settings where, you know, there's high-end restaurants and good things around them. So, uh, but they definitely have their own identity. Uh, you know, which one is, I mean, it, it just depends on which one pe- people feel. Some people, you know, Bear, it's interesting. Some people feel comfortable in a downtown setting. Some people don't, mm-hmm. you know, you get downtowns are different, right? Um, but that's sometimes what makes it exciting for people. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, you get to the, the neighborhood, it's more like a suburban environment. And Tampa's, uh, that's, you know, that's a great location too. So um, they're all, they're all different for sure. But Would you every say that, one of them, it's like your arm and your leg and your, in your foot, whatever. Right. Would you say that Tampa and downtown have a similar vibe to them? Cause I mean, there was, a, no. that, those are the, cause those are the two that I've been to. I've been to Tampa and I've been to Sand Lake and I mean, two very, very different stores, but fantastic experience in both of them, but very, very different. Yeah, but but Tampa's not in, our, in an urban setting as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, downtown Orlando is is like a you know, it, you got to park in a garage, and there's no parking on the street. There's no parking lot in front of it. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's a downtown setting. So now those two are different. But hey, we're all in Florida where we got some freedom. So that's the great part too. Right. Absolutely. So the um, the which one's the which one's the smallest? Heathrow. Okay. It's one I haven't been to. I need to, I need to go, I need to check that out. Um, and then, and then what's, you said downtown's larger than Sound Lake. So what is Tampa the yeah. biggest one? Tampa and downtown are about the same. About the same? Yep. Okay. Now, um, and they all have that similar style, right? There's no walk-in humidor in all of them. That the, the shop is the humidor. You walk in and the cigar is there, right? Love, I it, love man. it. I love, I love, yeah. I love that. It was just so, it was so awesome. I mean, just walk in and there's, there's cigars. I mean, it's just cigars everywhere. Aisles and aisles of cigars. That's the idea. Perfect. We'll go into our next, uh, what I call our next fun segment here, Jeff. And this has been, this has been something that I've done um, um, on every show since my birthday of two years ago. So we've been doing it for about uh, 15 months or so. And it's been it's been really fantastic because we get to talk about some great organizations, great nonprofits and charities. And so each week I ask my guests to spotlight a charity or nonprofit of their choosing. And um, you chose uh, a definite first for uh, this show. And I'm really because I'm really excited to talk about this. You chose the um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, but the Bahia Shriners um, as the organization that you wanted to spotlight and talk about. So I'll give you the floor a little bit here, Jeff. Why? Why did you? Uh, why did you decide to uh, to talk about uh, about this uh, particular uh, charity and nonprofit? Well, the, the sh- I'm I'm a Shriner. I'm a Mason. I did that uh, uh, last year, um, and I've been supporting the local. It's called the Bahia Shrine, which is the, like the Orlando uh, chapter. Let's call it of the Shriners. The Shriners are everywhere. They're globally, but uh, and their big thing is the Shriners Hospital for Children, and. You know, they've, they've had, you know, special burn units. So you've, you've seen the TV commercials probably and kids that have 
have like, you know, degenerate bone disease and problems like that. So uh, the Shriners is real simple, man. You got a sick kid, they'll take care of them. And, and you don't have to worry about whether you have you know, to pay for it. That's not even an equation. So uh, first time we did cigars and cars, actually, we held it at the, uh, not the first time, but, but uh, three years later, we started holding it at the, at the Shriners, had a big, like, uh, uh, let's call it a convention hall. And I, and I uh, they had this big band playing. And I noticed most of these Shriners were very old. And I'm like, wow, this, this organization is going to die out, man. These guys are getting old. They're aging out. Uh, and when I was a kid, my dad's best friend was a, a big time in the shrine. And they just always had, you know, this, the Shriners Hospital has been around a while. And I, and I just felt like, uh, you know, you got to pass the baton in life. And, and I think something so good as the Shriners, uh, it needs to be supported. And then I had a friend of mine I grew up with. His son had a, had a, a, a a bone growth problem and he had like 14 different surgeries done by the Shriners and they paid for all of it. And so when you see charities and you actually see where the money goes and, uh, and, and it's, and, and you know, people actually have benefited from it, it really makes you uh, feel confident that the work that you put in to try and raise the money for these guys, it's going for what it's intended to do. So um, that's why the Shriners is important to me. Uh, and, and, there's definitely a need for this. You know, I mean, you know, how many parents have, you know, worry about if something goes wrong with a kid, you know, it's, it's bad enough. You've got the stress of worrying about the health of your child, but then having it back your mind, how am I going to pay for it? You know, that's, that's a double whammy. So at least with Shriners, you don't have to worry about that. So that's the, that's the uh, charity of choice. Um, you know, we've, we've done quite a few uh, events where we raise money for them and, uh, you know, even, you know, you see the TV commercials for the Shriners Hospital for Children. You know, if you, you if you could, people, um, you know, support it because I can tell you it's it, there's a lot of charities out there where, you know, only a small portion actually goes to what you think it goes to. The rest goes to salaries and overhead and all sort of that kind of stuff. Well, the Shriners, that money actually goes to help the kids. So uh, and, and not only that, just even a local thing, this this went this uh, Christmas. There's a, there's a town, a real, real rural town uh, in Florida. Um, it's, you know, very poor community. And every year, man, for the last, like, I don't know, 25, 30 years, they have this thing for Christmas at their community center. And the Shriners do all kinds of stuff. The guys give motorcycle rides. They get the camel out there. They got the uh, kids get to come in. This, this, you should see the look on these kids' face. They walk into this hall, and there's thousands of presents. And they just get to walk and they get to, you know, pick like three presents and, and then they go and when they leave, they can get the, they get a, new, a toothbrush and toothpaste and some other stuff. And it's like, <coughs> it's really cool to see and that, you know, these kids smiling ear to ear and especially like when they get a motorcycle ride, you know, cool it is to be like, you know, six years old, be on the back of a Harley and stuff. And um, you know, Santa Claus is there and it's like, wow, this is, this is like as grassroots local yokel as you can get. But uh, that's what it's all about. You know, we've got to, um, this is an interesting topic too, Bear. Do you know that I, the more people I talk to that are actually involved in, in uh, benevolence in, in running charities, do you know that there's less and less giving? Um, that it seems like the, there's, a, there's a generational gap um, where people are not giving um, as much to charities as they used to, um, which I find to be kind of interesting. Hmm. Um, I, and, and I don't know whether it's whether it's the, you know, sort of the, the, you know, the world around revolves around me mentality. Um, 
I don't know, but uh, we need to uh, make sure that whatever it is, we got to do some charity, you know, um, it's part of, uh, part of the circle of life. So, uh, and it doesn't have to be money either. You know what I'm saying? My kids are in Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and stuff and, and FFA and stuff. And they all in ROTC, all those type of programs, they always have some kind of charity component to it, you know, or community ser- service. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Uh, helping out in the community. So it's not, it's not a matter of, uh, of, Hey, I can't afford it because, you know, it doesn't cost anything to go out and, uh, you know, for Boy Scouts to clean up a park or a beach or something. Um, so, but I'm telling you, uh, I don't know whether it's just because the next generation is so uh, tied into, you know, social media and just staring at their phones all day and the, and, and they're not actually helping with uh, some of the charity things that need to be done. But uh, I, I'm hearing this from people running those type of organizations, that there's a generational decline in charitable giving and charitable service which which uh yeah. you know, it's not good for humanity so anyway so i'm preaching preaching to people out there just you know do what you can remember you know you, there's uh it takes a village to to you know take care of humanity and that's the way it used to be so we got to try and kind of get back to that a little bit you know, Jeff, the reason I said this was an interesting choice is, like I said, it's the first time the Shriners has been, has been brought up on the show. And my grandfather was a Shriner, too. And mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it was, you know, something he just did for according to my dad, he just did it for fun. He just mm-hmm. he always used to joke around that he did it. Uh, he did it for the hat. <laughs> <'cause he laughs> um, but I mean, it's more than just hats. It's more than just the funny cars and parades and stuff like that. I mean, there's 22, 22 hospitals. Uh, for children around this country and actually in Canada. And they have one in Mexico too. Yep. And uh, there's one right there in Florida. I think it's right in your backyard. So um, yeah, Tampa. and, um, and they do incredible work. Like you said, um, you know, St. Jude is a great hospital. They do great work with children too, but you know, it's one, you know, it's essentially one location It's 22. And I'm not trying to knock St. Jude. So don't take it that way. I'm just saying, but this is, well, hold on. let me bring up some, this is interesting. Let me bring this up too. Cool. So St. Jude, St. Jude does, will not accept money from, uh, from cigar-related or tobacco-related companies. So just to let you know. Yeah. Um, so the Shriners, not only they, will they, uh, these guys embrace the cigar culture. Uh, the Shriners here have a, a, a cigar club. They meet every well, once a month. Um, and then you'll see them, they'll, they'll show up, they'll be at cigar stores and stuff. They'll be, you know, 10, 15 Shriners that are smoking cigars. So, um, they, they welcome the cigar culture because they're guys like us, you know what I'm saying? They're, mm-hmm. they, they, that's who Shriners are. So, um, they're not the, uh, what should I say? <sighs> Goody two shoes is not the, not the correct adjective but you know i mean they're not the type so oh, you know you, you they're not too good for they're not snob, they're not snobs they're not too good for the money yeah yeah you know what i'm saying so so it, like i said um so that and and for me is a big plus too because they are uh you know these guys are are genuine guys and they're like dude we're yeah we enjoy cigars and we also want to help kids no absolutely i think you know and i'm not i don't want to pick on saint jude necessarily or anything like that but they're not the only ones no, you know, no. uh, uh, Liana Fuente ran into exactly. this issue. 
She ran into exactly. an issue. I'm glad you brought her up. She'd been donating for years to breast cancer because it was an issue that's very near and dear to her heart. And when they found out that the money was coming from, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the rare pinks project was going to come from, you know, cigar related, <laughs> cigar related sales. They like, they backed off and it's, I listen, I, I think I, you know, I think sometimes having a moral objection to something is, 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 is important. Um, I think uh, just like the Hippocratic oath, I think that that is something that should be that, that time and money should transcend that just like the Hippocratic oath does these doctors take an oath to do no harm and to help those in need. And that's what your funds do uh, with, you know, these donations to the Shriners hospitals or any hospital or any medical, you know, any of these charities that we've talked about over the years uh, here on this show or, you know, and ones that we haven't talked about. So it's, I think, I think we kind of, you know, had maybe had an epiphany here on the show, Jeff, you were talking about how we've seen this kind of disconnect, a generational disconnect about, you know, generation, uh, you know, charitable giving and charitable service taking a downfall. Maybe that's it. You know, maybe, that, I mean, maybe that's not the reason, <clears throat> but I mean, that's certainly a factor. I mean, people being too good for the, the money and where it comes from. So this, the thing about the, the rare pinks when it came out, I kind of knew that was going to happen because the, the, and also I'm not even a fan of that charity, by the way, the, uh, the, was it Susan J. Corma or whatever it is? The because I've known quite a few women that have breast cancer, and it's have them call up and try and get some help. You'll be uh, lucky if they do. So what I did uh, when the when the rare pinks came out, we got like ten boxes. Now that's for five stores, right? So that's two boxes store. That's fifty cigars. As a matter of fact, they're not even boxes of twenty five. It's thirty five cigars per store. Now, I knew that as soon as you put them out at the retail price that they had, that regardless of even what price they had, that they were going to sell out that day. Yeah. So I'm like, um, why do this? Let's put them out $50 a stick, and we're going to donate 5000 bucks from us to uh, breast cancer. Now, what I did, I, w- I did it real is I went online. I Googled in Orlando. I said, Orlando, free mammograms is what I put it in a search term. And then I looked at which places and I started looking who offers free mammograms. That's where I wrote the check to. And you know what else pops up as a good charity too? Ronald McDonald House. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then there's one called Russell Home. So there's certain ones that literally you give them money. These are the people that if you have a problem, Ronald McDonald's house, you know, if, you, if your kid's in the, in the hospital, they, they house the parents. Because, you know, people have to travel sometimes to, when their kid's in the hospital. So Ronald McDonald's house, another one where the money actually goes to people that are, that are in need um, in the, the Russell home. I, that's in Orlando. I think they're in others, too. But uh, and there's there's a couple others. So that's where I wrote the check to. And and uh, that was when, when we get another shipment of rare pinks, we'll do it again. Another five grand to them. So so that we can we can. Uh, um, yeah, I know that's going to help people. And and why sell the cigar at the. Uh, whatever, $13 or even whatever they're supposed to be, let's sell them for 50 and let's make some money for a charity for what they, what it should be. So that's how we kind of leverage that. And, uh, it, you know, that's, that's ways that retailers can think of how do you help uh, your own local community 
off of what 10 boxes of cigars. I mean, most, most stores got two boxes, right? So mm-hmm. again, that's two boxes for each location, but we have five, so uh, five locations. So, so that was, that was cool. So anytime you can leverage something for, for the good, um, you know, those are opportunities that are worth doing. It's really exciting, Jeff. Great work. Um, and really great work with the Shriners as well. Um, as always, every week, uh, my wife and I will make a small donation uh, in your honor uh, towards uh, towards the Shriners Hospitals. Um, so cool. that'll be that'll be made. Uh, we've made a pledge to donate to each charity each week, and uh, uh, we're still going strong. It's not much, but every little bit counts. And uh, so, so, Barry, you never know. And this is what's interesting. Ten years from now, you may have a buddy from high school or something that his kid find. You'll find out that hey. He ended up going to a Shriners hospital. I'm telling you, as you get older, there's, mm-hmm. it's, there's like a, you know, there's karma that goes on. I, that's at least what, that's what I've found. So, uh, you know, I didn't know about this, this, this guy that was 16 years old working with that I was, heck, 40, probably 40 years old before I knew that his son had, uh, you know, had, had gone through that, uh, was going through that actually. And so, uh, yeah, you never know. So, so just, um, I think uh, the karma is real. Absolutely. So check it out. I posted it in the chat and then it'll also be in the show notes later. Check out uh, the Mahita Shriners website. And then you can also make a donation uh, if you feel so called. Really encourage you all to do so. They do some terrific work. And uh, Jeff, thanks again for bringing this up today. Uh, Really excited that we got to talk about it. So fantastic. So Shriners Hospital for Children is where they, I think you make the donations. Correct. Yeah. It's a, it's a link right off of it, off the Mahita website. Um, And it goes directly to the Shriners hospitals. So, yep. Uh, and you can learn more about the locations of different, if, of the different uh, Shriners hospitals and some other, inf- there's some really great information. It's a fantastic website. It's really, really well done. So, um, so kind of diving back in here um, to a couple of other, a uh, couple of other items here, Jeff, before we call it a night. Now I, I, this topic has kind of been beat up a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but I thought it'd be interesting to get a retailer perspective. Um, on this. Um, and the, so the PCA um, comes out with a statement um, about responsible marketing. And there's been several different types of reactions. I'm not going to tell you mine if you haven't heard it yet um, in particular, but I thought it was, um, I thought it was a very, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a positive thing in a lot of ways, but you know, you're a retailer and you're a capitalist and you, you know, you're in the business to make money, but there is, we talked about, you know, certain moral responsibilities and everything. What did you, uh, did you have a chance to review that statement and what were your, some of your initial thoughts and uh, how would that, how, how did, how does that particularly affect your practice as a retailer? So uh, I'm glad they did it, but this isn't the first time we've come across uh, some marketing. That's like, you're like, come on guys, this is especially, um, when there was much more scrutiny on our, on packaging, because when we were lobbying up in Washington, DC about why premium cigars shouldn't be treated like cigarettes when it comes to the FDA, um, FDA has lots of rules on marketing. Um, you know, you got warning labels where it can be advertised, where it can't. And, uh, you know, if that was, if, if, if those were applied to cigars, it really becomes problematic. Uh, especially on the warning labels, because it, it we produce a catalog, and based on 
the way it was written, it's like every single page would have to one third of the page would be a damn ad saying, you know, uh, with a surgeon general's warning. So we're like, you know, we don't market the kids. Our product's not attractive to kids. Premium cigars are enjoyed by adults. Well, trust me, you got opposition groups that if they do their research, you don't want them to pull up uh, images and, and, and go to those same, uh, whether it's FDA officials that you're talking to or uh, people in Congress that are, are involved in the rules for, for the uh, Health and Human Services or FDA. You don't want them pulling up a, a, an ad saying, you guys say you don't market to kids, but here you got one that looks like, uh, you know, the cookie monster or something like that. And, and it's a cartoon character. So we, we don't want to give them uh, ammunition to use against us because even though, even if it had a cookie monster on the box, kids aren't going to go in a cigar shop and go buy a box of, of premium cigars. I don't care what, it, what it's got on it, but it doesn't matter. It's lost in translation. It's an argument to use against us and, it's, and you can't defend it. So I think it's, uh, it was smart for PCA to try and give some guidance there because I know, listen, people are trying to be creative. And here's what happens, too, is that, you know, every 10 years you have a new wave of guys entering the cigar business. Uh, and what happens is, is that somebody that's entering in 2022 wasn't there in 2012 when we're, you know, having to lobby and really, you know, just sit there and, 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 and try and educate as many people as we can at the FDA uh, and, and members of Congress of why we're different. So you got to keep that new generation coming in. They need to learn, learn the history of where the landmines are in this business. And so, um, yeah, it was real smart on the, on the uh, PCA to do that. Um, I personally didn't see a lot of back and forth discussion about it. Uh, I read the, you know, some of the threads on, uh, on Facebook and, you know, there were some retailers that were, that were quite vocal. I saw them being quite vocal. Hey, we can't, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You know, meaning why are manufacturers coming out with these, uh, these comic books type of, of uh, designs or names? So, um, yeah, a PCA did the right thing. And I don't think any manufacturer that, that has done that has done it with ill intent. But you just got to educate them on where we've gone. Um, they weren't, some of these guys weren't even born when Joe Camel. This, this all stems to the Joe Camel campaign. So yeah. you may have guys coming, you, you may have guys coming out with cigars now, weren't even alive when Joe Camel was part of the market. And so, <laughs> and that, but that is what they use. That is the, that's the, the that's the main hook that they put out there is, you know, Joe Camel was marketing cigarettes to kids. So when you look at a design of what, you know, the, the cartoon character of Joe Camel, and then you got a band that has, you know, same type of, you know, whatever cartoon character, whatever, that's, that's a problem. So it's all about educating and making sure that, listen, you guys are creative. Just make sure it's adult, adult oriented when you do, when you do your, uh, your creative um, designs or marketing, whatever. That's all. So back to our, our theme tonight of advice, what would your advice be to a fellow retailer that came to you and said, Jeff, should I carry these types of cigars in my store or not? I wouldn't. I wouldn't because you're given, don't forget, man, all politics is local. You trust me. There's these tobacco free kid groups out there that are, heck, they can be a high school chapter. You know, they do that. And so you don't want them uh, having that stuff in your store because just because, you know, Washington, D.C. might be a long way away from you, um, you just don't want to be part of that 
you don't want to be on that Facebook group of, of tobacco free kids saying, you know, look at what, what I found at, you know, at, you know, uncle Tim's cigar shop or whatever. You don't want it. You just, you, so, uh, I wouldn't carry any of that stuff. So there was some, there were some thoughts on the fact that the, the statement that was made was not harsh enough. You know, there was some language in there about, uh, being encouraging uh, other manufacturers uh, to not, you know, to not participate in this type of marketing and everything there, there was just some thoughts on that. And I, and I personally, just for full transparency, Jeff, I thought that there was some language in there. Now it's, I, I think it's a matter of discussion and debate and there's some reasons why the PCA had to do it that way. And, and, you know, you can either agree or disagree, but um, do you think that, do you think it's do you think it's the PCA's job to make this I guess stance, and then it's it's the obligation of the its members to uh, take it on as their mission to you know to protect to protect it you know in sense of not being able to carry like some of these products and putting themselves in the crosshairs and everything, or do you do you think that by some of this language not being as direct as maybe it it could have been? that that gives some retailers some hesitancy about whether or not they should or shouldn't carry the product? So I think the real thing is that, you know, PCA, when I read it, I knew what they were talking about, but I'm real close to these issues, right? But at the same time, some people really need to be like shown. Here's an example, but PCA can't do that. They can't grab somebody's bands or marketing and say, here, this is an example that we shouldn't use, right? No, that's true. So, uh, you know, so I think they, I think they got their message across. And I, and again, any retailer that's, that is a, is a, good business guy he doesn't want to bring trouble to a store right so if he's just it's just an educational thing if they were aware of what was going you know the 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 risks that are there and why we don't want to do it it's just a matter of of educating our own retailers and manufacturers and again it's has a lot to do with the the newer generation of them that just weren't there for those problems before so and it is definitely 100 uh part of the role of the PCA to identify those issues and, and, and call it out when there's a problem, because that, that, you know, they're supposed to be uh, leaders in, in, you know, what we call best management or best marketing practices. So that's why it's, it, it is their duty to do that. So they, they did the right thing. Yeah. I mean, being when I, when I was saying about being a little bit more direct, I wasn't necessarily asking them to name names. I thought that would be irresponsible, especially if some of these manufacturers aren't even aware or some of these uh, brand owners aren't even aware of the, what they're doing is wrong. Like you said, some of them weren't even around for the whole Joe Camel incident and they don't know anything right. and it's about education. Um, but, you know, they, I, I thought it was the mixed language in some of the sentences, like for example, like in their statement, they say, therefore it's incumbent upon us all to not only exercise common sense, discretion, responsibility at times restraint instead of restraint. I know like I'm nitpicking and I'm going through language, but you know, if we're going to take a strong stance on something, just say restraint, we need to show restraint on this. So I, that, those are kind of the things about being direct or indirect. And I understand about net naming names. Like you said that, I think that does more harm than good. So I, I think that was, that was responsible of them. I just thought that some of their language could have been a lot more direct, a lot more specific and a lot more, I guess, just firm is probably the best word that I'm thinking. I think people got the point. Um, 
if anything, it's, you know, you just got to make sure the message got out as far as it should. And every manufacturer should really uh, uh, have that, you know, for example, if you got a factory, right. And this one guy comes to you and says, Hey, I want you to make this brand for me. And here's what it looks like. Man. And they see the bands or let's look at the packaging and what it's going to look like. You know, they should, they should know too. Hey, we can't do that. We got to you know, redesign this. So it doesn't look like it's uh, geared so much towards kids. That's all. So, so really, Remember, there's not that many guys make cigars, right? But there's a ton of people, uh, you know, retailers or guys that are, are that are, you know, quote brand owners or whatever. But at the end of the day, that there's only, you know, I don't know, fifty factories out there, maybe maybe less than a hundred. I would say there's probably less than a hundred cigar factories uh, in this business. That's, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but no, I think that's that's a pretty accurate number. Yeah, I think that even might be a little heavy. Yeah. So, so, you know, as long as they know, they can stop it from starting in the first place. There you go. So you mentioned about back in 2012 and, and, you know, your, your, your story journey into politics has been pretty well documented by yourself and, 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 and you've done a, you've done a terrific job being an ambassador for this industry, really fighting for not just, not just yourself, but the industry as it, as it, as a whole and you've been a part of some great panels and some great discussions and you've you've gone up to washington several times and you know you even found you know you co-founded the cra so um one thing that i was interesting it was an interesting post that you had done right after he passed away and then there was actually i heard there was a story behind it too which was when harry reed passed away um and this is a gentleman that you actually had the the opportunity to meet with and uh, no secret um, you politically speaking, the two of you are on different sides of the aisle. So mm-hmm. um, t- I, I was hoping you could recant that story about the time that you met Harry Reid. Cause you know, he, for, for a long time, he served this country in, in a, in a, you know, in a very long capacity in the Senate. And, and I, you know, I thought, I thought your story was very, was a really refreshing perspective. So, Harry Reid was the Senate president or the majority leader. So basically the Chuck Schumer of today, uh, Harry Reid was in that position before. And, and listen, these guys give speeches. They're always very politically, uh, you know, taking in the opposite side of whatever the uh, Republicans are doing. But uh, at the end of the day, the, uh, you know, cigars, one of the, one of the things about our, our premium cigar bill, which, which was to, uh, basically have where cream cigars are not regulated by the FDA. Um, it was always bipartisan. And so many times we would hear that, well, if you can get, uh, let's say whatever, this, this far right conservative politician and this far left uh, politician on the same bill, uh, it must be a good bill. Meaning that how did you get both of those guys to agree? Cause there's hardly anything, about the only thing that goes through Congress that's, that's bipartisan is just like naming a post office or something, something that's not controversial at all. But on pretty much in anything else, it's almost like there's party lines. So, uh, so in our bill, it was always um, bipartisan, but way more Republican support than, than Democrats support, just because the nature of, of uh, Republicans being more conservative and Democrats liking big government regulations. So uh, Harry Reid, um, I think the biggest message to give people is that, you know, I, I was able to get in Harry Reid's office by myself, uh, not as a lobbyist, uh, just as someone that was 
up in D.C. trying to prevent Corona Cigar from going out of business from something called the State Children's Ins uh, Insurance Program. It was a federal increase on the cigar tax from, from five cents and at the time was up to $10 per cigar with a floor tax, which would have put me out of business. So anyway, you know, I'm up there just knocking on doors and I, you know, Harry Reid's the top of the food chain for Democrats. And um, so I went in there and my business card and asked for a meeting. I asked for a meeting with, with Senator Reid himself. Um, I didn't know, listen, you, you don't, you won't get it if you don't ask. <clears throat> so, uh, so yeah, I asked if I could meet with Harry Reid and they're like, what, what are you here for? And so I explained, you know, it's usually like a, an intern from college that that's, that's the gatekeeper, right? So I handed my business card, told him I was there for, and, uh, and again, wasn't with a lobbyist. So little, a few hours later, I get a phone call from his chief of staff saying, hey, uh, why don't you stop by today and let's go over this. And, uh, and I did. And then later on. How surprised on, uh, were you that you got that call? How surprised were you? I was, re I was real, su real surprised. But his chief of staff actually smoked cigars, so he knew about cigars. So uh, uh, Rocky Patel. Uh, was up there. This was back when Dave Burkwell was in charge of the, the, uh, it was, it was called the RTDA back then. So anyway, this was a long time ago, again, 2007, I think. Um, so anyway, later, uh, we met with him. The, the guy said the reason he took the meeting, he goes, he goes, because it was an individual coming up from outside of DC, made the trip to discuss an issue that was important enough for him to leave his home state, home city, travel up there to tell him a problem. And this was a seasoned chief of staff, by the way. A lot of, of, your, of your political staff are very young. When I say young, you would be shocked. When you see these bills that are 6, 8, 10, 15,000 pages, they're written by people that are 24 years old. Now, there's nothing against the 24-year-old. However, when you're 24 years old, you're time on earth and experience and on, on things is, is, is short. And there's, that's why we have so many, what are called unintended consequences, because trust me, the guys who were writing a cigar tax bill had no clue about premium cigars and we had no representation back then too. Mm -hmm. So the cigarette guys pretty much wrote their bill. And then when they needed more tax, they just kind of went down to categories and cigars were last. So we got a big hit. So anyway, so, um, Harry Reid's chief of staff is an older guy. And he said, you know, that's the reason I took the meeting because it's obviously there's something in that bill that's wrong that has a retailer or a business guy coming up here, a small business guy too, you know, and it's not IBM. It's not Lockheed Martin. This is Corona Cigar Company right out of Orlando. He comes up here and he's, he wants to tell what's wrong. So that's when a good chief of staff or a good staff member will make sure they take that meeting because number one, let's hear what's wrong because they don't intentionally want to have um, unintended consequences, right? And number two, they like to talk to the, the business owners more so than they like to talk to lobbyists, because lobbyists can arrange the meeting, but lobbyists don't know the, the ins and outs of the business. And lobbyists, a lot of times, are talking off of talking points. When you have the business owner there, I don't care if it's a cattleman or a, or a mechanic or whatever, he's the expert in the industry. And so they, right. they have questions when they're talking back and forth they feel they're getting truth they're getting true statements from right and that's what they really want to hear they want to hear from the guy whatever his industry his business is he wants to hear and it doesn't it's not all business either that's why you'll see uh uh parents 
or, or individuals that could actually make changes in policy, like when their daughter gets killed by, I don't know, whatever, uh, you know, let's say, let's say some stolen car came up from Mexico, killed their daughter on there. That parent that goes to Congress and says, listen, this could have been prevented if this, and I lost my daughter over this. That story is more compelling. And then they're like, man, I, you know, I feel bad for them. What happened? What can we do to fix this? Or, you know, hey, my child was, 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 you know, damaged by a drug here that you guys are still selling. The FDA has approved it. Now, you know, look at these are the, this is how change actually happens, you know? So it's not just business, but it's individuals. And so um, my point is, is that you can't not, and this is the bad part, Bear. This is what's so disappointing. What we did in 2007 through 2021 is not, or 2020, you can't do anymore. You know why? Because neither one of us can go walk in the halls of Congress anymore. We can't even walk into the buildings where their offices are, Rayburn and all these other Senate buildings, Hart buildings and stuff like that. In the past, you go through, go through the metal detectors, boom, you can literally walk down the halls to every member of Congress's office and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. You can do what we call drop-by meetings. Can't do that anymore. It's sealed off. And they use, they're saying, oh, because of the insurrection on January 6th, therefore, we're going to close Washington, D.C. off to the citizens. And this is what's happening. And this is what, why it's real dangerous, because you know who has access to Congress now? The, the millionaires, billionaires, and lobbyists that represent the big companies, the Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. That's who has access. The average citizen right now has zero access in D.C. You can't get in. If you get a meeting with your congressman, they literally got to walk you in. And then when you're done, they got to walk you out. And that's not the way the government was. Descent, was it was supposed to be the people's house. Mm -hmm. But by design, it's sealed off right now. So when they do a bill right now, it's got what? five, six, seven thousand pages on it. Not one average Joe had any input on it. None. And so that's what's real dangerous right now. So uh, anyway, and, I, and again, it's by design. That way they can, they can, uh, you know, anyway, we can spend another show on this, but anyway. <laughs> so with these limitations and everything like that, you know, like you said, it, do, it doesn't work like this anymore, unfortunately. I know your advice would be to always just, just ask, just ask for the meeting. What, what do you think we can do now? I mean, emails so, and phone so what, calls? I mean, is that yeah, going to so really do the trick? Well, it helps. And the reason it helps is, is it's sheer numbers what they do. When you send emails and, and phone calls, they don't, they don't read them. But what they do is they, they put in the pile of, of opposition. How many calls do we get that are against something? How many are for it? So they don't like too much controversy. So, so if you start seeing it bubbling up, especially from people in their district, they might they might back off a little bit, but the real way to get this done is be involved in local politics. You, when, you know, you've got to, you got to have a relationship with your Senate office, you know, it, for example, if, if uh, in the state of Florida, Marco Rubio, our Senator his his downtown Orlando office is literally next building over from Corona Cigar downtown. So now his, his staff members know what Corona Cigar is. So when you're talking to him about stuff, they know who we are, right? That's why uh, anytime, like when we had the official Senate hearings in Tampa, you know, it's me and uh, Eric Newman and others, and we're part of that conversation. So when 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 they're looking for experts, they 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 call me and others, and that that's because we were very active in it. 
same thing on local politics, state level politics. You, you've got to, you've got to be involved because I say it a hundred times, man, you're either at the table or you're on the menu and trust me, you don't want to be on the menu and being in the cigar business, you're already on the menu, no matter what, whether it's regulation, taxes and smoking bans or whatever. I mean, we're fighting one right now in Florida. And if I didn't have, sometimes you got to develop these relationships for years and you think, why am I doing this? Why am I supporting this guy? Why do I do this? Because there's going to be a time when you need them. And that time is usually when there's a bill that's, that some group wrote that's going to put you out of business. So you better make sure that you can have access to the person that you can text them or call them and say, hey, check out this House Bill 205. It's a problem. This is the, this is the Pandora's box that's going to allow you know, smoking bans where we, you know, we can't smoke outside anymore or could cause cigar bars to go away. So that's why you gotta, you, you got to stay on top of it. And, and local politics is, you know, that's, everybody can access that. D.C. right now is closed off, but you can definitely, everybody can access the, the local stuff. Absolutely. Really, really fantastic stuff there, Jeff. I think that the most important thing is just to keep, is to keep trying and to keep pushing and having these conversations with our leaders, um, you know, in any way, form or possible. And like you said, I think it's, it's, it's really quite touching and quite moving that, that to the Senate majority leader at the time took the meeting simply because you were an individual and not because you were represented by someone, you know, for all the, for all the, and there's plenty of it, right. In politics that, you know, there's money goes a long way in politics. You know, if you've got, you know, if you got a name brands behind you, it's going to get you, it's going to get you a, it's going to get you an appointment. Don't get me wrong, but it's still, you know, it's, it's great that that story exists so that, you know, the next time you do meet with the leaders of today, you can actually tell it. I mean, cause yeah, don't get me wrong though. They, they there's, <laughs> it's a political machine though. Sure. It'll get you in the door, but, there's a need for the lobbyists because that's what keeps your message from being forgotten. Once you leave, you follow me. Sure. So you have to have the lobbyists there to carry the message on and carry the continue with the communication with the staff. So lobbyists are absolutely essential. But what I'm getting at is that you can uh, listen lobbyists without their, without their clients is, is, some of them do it, but it's not very effective. You follow me? It's a mm-hmm. dance. You got to have two. You got to have a dance partner, right? So unless you're there uh, helping them um, or actually telling the story, they you know they can provide access, but they need the actual clients there, which in this case is retailers and cigar makers, to tell that story, because that's where you know without it, they're just reading the talking point. And trust me, those go right in the trash when you leave, because as soon as you leave, someone else will bring one. Think of how many packets they get a day. Right. Every you you spend Pack a day in a congressional yeah. office. Yeah. Spend a day in a political office and you'll be like, holy smokes, I had no idea that they got to deal with this many issues. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I mean, you name it, every industry's got an issue that the government's involved in. So they're it's it's just nonstop. So again, that's why the lobbyists are important. So when you leave, your package just doesn't go on a trash and then they forget about you. You there has to be continued communication and advocacy absolutely Alrighty. well jeff uh, i know you got a little early morning uh today so i will go ahead and uh, conclude the show with our curveball segment 
Um, and uh, as always, I do really appreciate your time on a Sunday evening. I know it's this is family time, and like you said, you got a really early morning. So I really do appreciate. The kids you. are in bed already. It's just that, <laughs> just that uh, yeah, my, I, yeah, uh, they should be right. Yeah, they're already in bed. Yep, yep. So uh, our curveball segment is always brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Curve, uh, fastballs or curveballs, doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Seven, now seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to Steve and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. So here's the question, Jeff. Um, we've, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the show about the locations uh, that you have. You've got four stores now. Um, so I'm not going to ask you if, if a fifth one is on the horizon. In fact, we're going to just have a little bit of make and leave. If you went out of the state of Florida, okay, there's two parts to this question. If you could open a cigar shop anywhere in this country, outside the state of Florida, and money wasn't an object, I handed you, I handed you everything you needed to open a store. Where would you, where would you open it? It'd probably be somewhere in Texas, just because the, the, you know, the, the there's a lot of people moving to Florida and Texas. Texas has a, uh, a pretty good um, cigar environment as far as like taxes and things go. So I would say uh, somewhere in Texas, but we are opening another store. I got one going in uh, Sarasota, uh, Florida. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, we got a, we got a, a public hearing that we got to do next month. Um, good example. We do have some anti-tobacco people fighting it. Um, unfortunately, there's some people that don't think that you should be able to have a cigar store and people smoking cigars outside. So that's when I talk about all politics, man. It can be local all the way to the top. So we just got one more city council meeting to go through and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have the green light and get that thing starting to build it. But, um, so that's the, that's the other, te- you know, I think, you know, Texas is a, plus you guys got a good climate there. So that would be the uh, second thing. You know what other States really good, uh, not forget, the political climate though, but California is a great state to smoke a cigar. Um, you know, they, they've got great weather and like San Diego is beautiful for smoking cigars, but you know, obviously they got problems as far as taxation and regulation, things like that. But, um, you know, you, I don't want to say I feel bad for the retailers up North, but when you live in these areas that get, you know, two feet of snow and it's freezing cold, um, it's not that easy to, to smoke cigars. Right. Cause right. It, it, so, uh, so California, believe it or not, is, is a good state, uh, has a great climate for smoking cigars. So does Hawaii and Hawaii is another state that's terrible on, uh, oh, yeah. beat the heck out of their retailers. You're going to have to be a hundred. You're going to have to be a hundred to yeah. smoke a cigar. I know it's days. ridiculous, <laughs> but, but Hawaii, Hawaii and California, Florida, Texas, you know, any of the Southern states, they're great places to enjoy cigars. And, and we call it cigar moments, right? You know, so when people go to the beach or go to a park or stuff like that, you know, these are great places to smoke a cigar. So anyway, probably Texas. Well, thanks for picking my home state, Jeff. That, that yep. makes me feel good. Uh, yep. So if all goes well in that hearing, uh, I mean, what's the scheduled uh, completion date for Sarasota? Is that 2023, 2024? Or? We, no, it should be this year. Oh, you know, wow. There's challenges okay. in this supply. Well, we are actually designing the store last year. We've been dealing with, listen, nothing clogs up progress as much as, as local government right now. That's why, um, you know, during COVID, a lot of the rest of society was out there working, but a lot of the government offices were closed, you know, mm-hmm. and they, so you try to get a permit done, you know, yeah, they're still getting paid, but nobody's working uh, or licensing and stuff like that. So um, that's why you'll see a lot of, 
a lot of uh, projects like in Florida where it's like, oh, they did the demolition, but when's the new restaurant coming in? Well, whenever they give them the permits, you know? And so unfortunately that has really slowed up a lot of things in this state, but it is what it is. Will it be a freestanding building or will it be part of like a. It's, it's, uh, it's half, half of one freestanding building. It's in downtown Sarasota, right off of main street. So it's a beautiful location. And Sarasota is a great city too. Um, so we're looking forward to that, but I'm hoping it'll be open. It should be open in 2022, but again, you never know. You, you, we have very specialized air conditioning units that we use for HVAC. Um, you know, you can get, uh, something that normally would take six months to have built could take a year. So I, I hope we don't run into that, but you never know. Right. So I said, this is a two-parter last question, Jeff, same thing goes, I'll give you all the money, all the resources in the world to make it happen. So anywhere in the world, outside this country, where do you open a cigar store? Outside the country. Um, that's a good one. Um, the only reason, yeah, it's hard. There's demand for it in the UK, but there's a lot of, there's, there's some tough regulations there. And Spain has a good culture too for smoking cigars. I think we could do good in Madrid. I'm, I'm sorry, in Barcelona. I'd probably do one there. Nice. I love Barcelona. Yeah. It's a beautiful city. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good climate too for for cigars. So I think Absolutely. that that, uh, and I don't recall there being a great cigar store there. So if there's anybody from Spain, who knows? But you know, I think the stores in Spain are controlled by. Uh, I think there's something that I don't know about that. But anyway, yeah. I'd be able to kick ass one in Barcelona. There you go. Nice. Barcelona and Texas. Yep. So, all right. <laughs> but in uh, but in reality, Sarasota is the next one on the list. So yes, good luck that's, with that, that's Jeff. Happened. Good luck with yep. that, Jeff, and, and everything as thank well. Uh, thank you so much to my audience for tuning in tonight uh, and staying with us late, as always. Uh, fantastic conversation with our, our guest here tonight, Jeff Borschwitz, and, and uh, really do appreciate everyone for tuning in. Check out our YouTube page, LS Fumar as well as our Facebook page, LS Fumar. Don't forget to hit the like button. You can always see a calendar of upcoming events every week. We uh, will we'll be uh, doing uh, shows, except for this week. I will actually be at the Great Smoke in the great state of Florida, so I'll be coming to the Sunshine State, Jeff. And, uh, and uh, so I won't be doing a show per se, um, but we do have Nick Melillo coming on the week after that, so that'll be a great take. It'll be his second appearance on Los Fumar Takes. Uh, we're going to be drinking tequila that night. So that'll be exciting, along with smoking some fine cigars, too. So you definitely want to check that out. Um, and always, if you are downloading these podcasts later, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you hit the download, subscribe, and review button. If you are, you are a subscriber, do me a favor. Hit unsubscribe, but don't forget to resubscribe because that really helps my numbers. So really appreciate that. Appreciate Jeff for tuning, uh, for joining us tonight. And as always, we really appreciate all your likes, shares, and comments. For everyone out there, I'm Barry Duplissy live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. He's Jeff Borswich. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. <laughs>